We've been in a series of messages on the book of James, and so those of you who are uh, visiting this morning, just to kind of give you a heads up, we've been working through James, and today we're in James chapter 5. It's one of the last chapters of the book, and uh, we're in James chapter 5, and so I'm just going to invite you to follow along and uh, read it with me if you have a copy of God's Word. But if not, just look up on the screen there, and uh, you can follow along as I read that particular passage. So it's James chapter 5 is where we're at today, and we're looking at verses 1 through 6. And so here's what James says, and he's addressing those who are well-to-do. They have some financial uh, blessing in their life. He says this, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded the wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of, or of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Here ends the reading of our passage this morning. Well, as you listened this morning, as I read that passage, it's pretty obvious that uh, the author, his name is James, he's pretty blunt here as he talks to those who are well-to-do. And you kind of get the idea, does James have a thing about wealth and riches? Is he opposed to that? Is wealth a bad thing? Uh, if you've been blessed financially and Economically, is that, a, is that a bad thing? Is that evil? Because as we begin here, James really doesn't start on a positive note. Well, as Scripture is explored, one of the things you will quickly come to the conclusion about is that wealth is not a bad thing, okay? Being well-to-do is a blessing from God, and it's, it's not wrong to have, you know, Adequate finances, it's okay, it's okay. In fact, there's some biblical examples. When King Solomon was about to become king of Israel, you remember King Solomon, uh, he was wealthy, he was wise. Uh, when he was about to become king, he was just a young, young lad, and he realized he had great responsibilities. So his prayer request to God was this. He says, uh, God, here's what I desire from you, a discerning heart to govern God's people and to distinguish between right and and wrong. That was his request. And of course, Solomon's request was granted by God. He heard his request. And, uh, and in addition to request, or granting his request for wisdom, God says this also in 1 Kings chapter 3. He says, moreover, and this is God says, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor. So that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. So Solomon, considered not only the wisest man, but perhaps the richest man in the world, received his riches from God. So, God, so 
being wealthy and having plenty is not a wrong. It's not a bad thing. Another story, Job. You guys remember Job? Uh, Job went through some very difficult times in his life. In fact, it was at the hands of the enemy, Satan. Satan says to God, you know, if I mess with Job, I bet you Job will curse you. And uh, God says, well, Satan, you're wrong. And uh, he permitted Satan, Satan to mess with Job. And, of course, Job lost everything. When we focus on Job, we think about how Job lost family. He lost his uh, livestock. He, he lost everything at the hands of the enemy. Well, one of the things I also find very interesting is at the end of Job's life, we find these words penned by the author, and it says this, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. So wealth, uh, riches, uh, those things are not bad. In fact, as we see from these biblical examples, the riches and wealth came from the hand of God. It was His way of bestowing blessing on these individuals. So I share these examples just to show you that God is not opposed to wealth. What God does detest, what God does not like when it comes to riches, money, and wealth is this, and it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See that? Again, what is the evil that comes regarding money? What is it God is opposed to? It is the, help me out here, it is the love of money. And that's important to make that distinction because you often hear that passage quoted, and when it's quoted, it's always quoted something like this, you know, money is the root of all evil. Well, no, that's not true. Money is not the root of all evil. Rather, as Scripture indicates there in that verse, it is what? The love of money that is the root of evil. So God is not opposed to wealth. God is not opposed to riches. Um, but what He is opposed to is how we use that blessing of wealth. That's what He's concerned about. How do we use our wealth? How do we use our riches? That's what he's concerned about. If we love those things more than God, then we have a problem. In fact, here in James chapter 5, James shares with us three attitudes that reveal that either we're having a love affair with our finances or we're mismanaging what God has entrusted to our care. So there's three things I want to share with you at this time. If these three, three things or if one of these things are evident in your life, then, then we got a problem with the wealth that God has blessed us with. So here's the first thing that James shares with us coming from chapter 5. He says, if you are hoarding your wealth, then you got a problem. All right? If you hoard your wealth, if you are stockpiling your wealth, then we got a problem. We see that in verse 3 of chapter 5. So if you hoard your wealth, well then... Something's wrong. Let me introduce you to a lady. Her name is Hetty Green. Hetty Green. She is a money hoarder. For many years, Hetty Green was called America's greatest miser. 
When she died in 1915, she left an estate valued at $100 million. $100 million back in 1915. That was a big chunk of dough. But she was so miserly that she ate cold oatmeal in order to save the expense of heating the water. Okay? When her son had a severe leg injury, she took so long trying to find a free clinic to treat him that his leg had to be amputated because of an advanced infection. At one time, she was the richest woman in America. Her estate was valued at from $65 to $100 million, yet Hetty lived her life as if she was in poverty. For example, she padded her thin, worn clothes with newspapers to keep the biting New York City cold from chilling her body. One hot, sizzling day, someone found the world's richest woman in the stuffy, hot attic of a warehouse that Hetty had inherited from her father. For hours and hours, she sweated away doing what? Well, she was sorting white rags from colored rags because the local junk man paid a cent a pound more for white rags. Realizing that if she had a permanent address, the tax collector would swoop down upon her and claim $30,000 a year in taxes from her. So, Hetty Green drifted from one cheap lodging house to another, dressed in rags, and with so little baggage that suspicious landladies often made Hetty pay for her night's lodging in advance. Prior to her death at the age of 81, Hetty suffered a stroke. It has been said that she brought on this stroke while arguing, arguing over the merits of how skim milk was cheaper than whole milk. This was the life of Hetty Green, a woman who loved money. If she had loved God instead of money, how different her life would have been. So money and wealth is not the issue. What the problem here, as demonstrated with this lady, is hoarding. Hoarding is the issue, and hoarding our wealth is a sin. The reason that hoarding is a sin is because hoarding places value on things rather than on God. Are you following me on that? The reason that hoarding, stockpiling, is a sin is because more trust and dependence is placed in the items, the things, rather than God. And that's called idolatry. Idolatry. So what is the prescription for hoarding? What, what is the remedy? What is the medicine that we can take to fight hoarding? Well, the medicine is this, giving. That's how you fight hoarding, giving. There's no joy in keeping. There's no joy in stockpiling. True joy comes in giving. So the remedy, the prescription for fighting hoarding is to be 
a giver. That's how you fight it, giving. Well, James reveals another problem that he sees in the rich people of his day. And uh, number two is this. James says, here's a sign that you are mismanaging or you're in love with your wealth. And uh, that sign is that you are a cheapskate. Okay? You're a cheapskate. Look with me at verse 4, would you? Here's what it says. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The rich people here that James is addressing, they were cheapskates. They would not pay their workers. Or if they did pay them, they were, you know, measly earnings. See, the rich in this case were robbing the workers. They were breaking the Eighth Commandment, and the Eighth Commandment says, do not steal. But these rich, they had it. They were shortchanging, so to speak, those who worked for them. They were cheapskates. Now, the prescription for being a cheapskate or the cure is generosity. If you lean towards the cheapskate mentality, the way you're going to deal with that is by making that conscious decision to be generous with what God has given to you. So you fight being a cheapskate by being generous, practicing generosity. Look at this verse with me, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It's something that's familiar to you. It says this, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the word that is translated cheerful there, take a look at it. In the Greek, it's the word from which we get hilarious, and perhaps you've heard that. God is wanting us to be not only a a cheerful giver, but a hilarious giver. And so often what we do is we, we focus on the celebratory or the, the cheerfulness of giving. That's how we are to give to our God. And that is very true. But what I want to point out to you this morning, in addition to this idea of being uh, cheerful in your giving, that word can also be translated generous. Okay, so that is an acceptable translation there with the cheerfulness. You can also be generous, all right? God not only loves a cheerful giver, He loves a generous giver as well. In fact, cheerfulness and generosity, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So if you have cheapskate tendencies, the way you fight that is by making that conscious decision to be generous in your giving. Generous in your giving. That's how you do it. Now, many of you are going to have that opportunity this afternoon. Uh, We go out and we eat. And, of course, there is that expectation that we leave a tip, right? So here's how I tip. I give them the $20 bill, and they bring back change $5.50. I leave the 50 cents on the table. There's your tip. All right? That's how we do it. That's cheapskate, okay? Cheapskate. And we kind of complain about this whole idea of having to tip the waiter or waitress when they are serving us. We just, it's just, it's just oh, it's, we're so reluctant, right? Here's how I've dealt with it. It's my opportunity to be generous. Okay? 
It's not, not so much for the waiter. It's not so much for the waitress. I think God's saying, Brian, here's your opportunity, you cheapskate, to be generous, to be generous. That's how you fight being a cheapskate. There's a third thing that uh, James brings to our attention that he does not like. Um, you may have a money problem or mismanagement issue here. And this is number three. If you, have, if you are self-indulgent, that's the third one there, self-indulgent. We have, uh, first of all, we have the, uh, the hoarder, and then we have the cheapskate. Now we have the self-indulgent. And that's in verse 5 of chapter 5. Here's what it says. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Now let's be clear here. God is not against enjoying the niceties of life. You know, we, we do. We are a blessed people. And so we do have the finances to, to splurge, if you will, and get that fun toy or that that fun thing, you know, it's a want, not a need, it's a want. And, and we have the finances to do that. And I'm not saying, hey, that's wrong. In fact, take a look at this passage, 1 Timothy 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, uh, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And here, listen to this part. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, don't we serve a good God, huh? He provides for us for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy. So I don't think there's anything wrong with spending a little extra dough on some niceties of life. However, the problem that James is addressing here is the overindulgence, okay? In fact, we know that it's an overindulgence because what does he say a little bit later in that passage? He says, you have fattened yourselves, for the day of slaughter. So, you guys have ever seen or heard about the fat cat? All right, you've heard that term before, fat cat. It's a term commonly used to, to describe a rich, greedy person who, due to ownership of large amounts of capital, is able to live easy off the work of others. And I think this is exactly what was happening during the day of James. These rich people that he's addressing were fat cats. They were enjoying a good life at the expense of others. And he says, that's not good. That's self-indulgence. Experiencing the good life at the expense of someone else. And so the problem that we have here with the fat cat is there is the focus on self. Okay, It's the focus on self, and that's called pride. And so the remedy for self-indulgence is to focus on others. So if uh, you feel like, man, I've, I've, maybe I'm overindulging. Well, just ask yourself, how, how do you minister to others? How, how do you look out for others? Just a question to ask yourself. Um, so focusing on others is the cure for being uh, um, self-indulgent. Here's the passage. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then he says, and the second is like it. And what does the second one focus on? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
So there's the transfer, moving from being self-indulgent, self-absorbed in self to where you focus and love others. That, that's how we deal with that self-indulgent attitude. So James, he's not against, you know, wealth and riches. God, God's not against wealth and riches and the possessions that our wealth can bring to us. He's not opposed to that. In fact, told us in 1 Timothy, well, it's for our enjoyment, right? But when we begin to hoard, thinking that our identity is in the stuff that we have accumulated, we got a problem. Um, if we also, i got to look back here, I can't remember. Do you remember hoarding and uh, cheapskate? There we go, that's me. Cheapskate, well, we got to evaluate. Why am I a cheapskate? Okay. We want to be generous. Remember, the cure for being a cheapskate is practicing generosity. And then lastly, the self-indulgent. Wrapped up in self, being a fat cat. We don't want to be that way. And those are the things that James says, hey, I don't want you to be that way. Because that doesn't honor God at all. So evaluate your life. How are you doing? Do you have a tendency to hoard? Practice giving. Are you a cheapskate like me? Practice generosity. If you're kind of self-indulgent, remember, God says it's about others. That is the cure for self-indulgence. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the challenge that you bring to us through your word about the wealth and the riches that you have entrusted into our care. Lord, first of all, we praise you and we thank you that you have given us the ability to create wealth. And Lord, you don't mind us enjoying it also. But Lord, also may we have a mentality of how can we, how can I honor you? Lord, may that be the driving factor in what you have entrusted into our care. How can I honor you? And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.